So, Kevin, how have you been? I've been doing well, Alvi. How are you? Going all right. Um, as you know, this is a mental health episode for our podcast. So I'd like to ask you, what does mental health mean to you? Uh, mental health is state of mind, whether it's um, your state of anger, state of joy, state of peace. And it depends what... Um, how you're in from day to day so to me good mental health is um, a sense of peace more regularly or at least able to regulate um, emotional health whereas uh, an unhealthy mental mental state um, is one filled with anger jealousy rage or anything that uh, disturbs the peace would be considered the opposite Mental health has this very negative stigma surrounding it, and that kind of stops people from really talking to someone about it. For example, if you're suffer- suffering with depression or some sort of chronic um, like mental health um, issue, right? People don't really talk about it. How would you encourage people to start a conversation about this? I think it's very important to, to start these conversations, especially when you think it's not especially if you think it's not a big deal, you know, whether it's with your closest friends or with your closest family member, bottling it up is, can become an unhealthy practice. Um, and like you said, it's a negative stigma. And so you keep compartmentalizing it and pushing it away. It can come and bite you in the future and manifest in different ways in your life that um, is undesirable. So start talking to the closest people around you um, people are more empathetic than you think. And if not even a journaling process, keep getting it out there rather than keeping it all in the mind. It's interesting. A lot of people don't know what actually causes depression. And this is something in today's world with so much going on. Um, for me personally, like going on with school, so my studies, um, extracurricular, extracurricular activities, doing podcasts, whatnot. People can actually do so much and actually fall into depression without even knowing it. So do you know what actually causes depression? I'm not a a clinical psychologist or a doctor by any means. And so I probably can't speak to what causes depression. Um, So I I won't comment too much on on that piece, Um, Alfie. Yeah. Okay. But would you say that there are certain human experiences that might cause depression? And if so, what are they? Um, well, it, it, it's in varying degrees to everyone because, you know, anyone, depending on the level of grit, uh, the level of hardship they've gone through, um, to me, Depression is like a, a state where if it tips over for you and you fall into this deep slumber uh, that you can't pull yourself out of, that that is a, a state of depression to me. And um, as I mentioned before, everyone has a, a different breaking point. And, you know, for some, it might be uh, work-related stress. It might be uh, family-related stress, relationship-related stress. Um, 
any of those external factors that is in the day-to-day -day life can be an attributing stress factor to anxiety levels and depression levels. So yeah, basically what yeah. you're saying is that high levels of stress may lead to depression. But the thing is, in today's world, stress has kind of become a new norm because you're, you know, you're juggling with so many th different things and people, some, well, some people actually enjoy doing that. They obviously they don't like stressing themselves, but they do like engaging in um, different things. So how would you find a balance between that? I don't think that stress is actually a negative thing. It depends, right? I mean, it, all forms of growth comes from stress, um, whether you think physically or mentally. Uh, it builds resilience, it builds grits, it builds strength. Uh, for example, you know, if you want to grow muscle, you've got to stress out the muscle before you can grow it. You want to build stamina, you must stress out your, um, your systems in order for it to grow. You want to uh, become more academic or become anything, you must stress your, your brain in order to, for it to expand. But what happens is if it starts to become too much, and this comes back to your question is how do you balance it is, you know, there, there is no one way I believe, but taking as simple as um, what I would call a clarity break, which is quite important because like you said, day to day, people are quite busy. You know, you're, you want from the moment you wake up, you're on your phone, you're then, okay, I've got to rush and get ready for school. And then after uh, I've got to, prepare for my exams and my assignments and then all of that afterwards i've got to uh, prepare for my extracurricular and then i get home and then i've got to finish this i finish that if you realize this pattern is a constant busyness and if you're constantly thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that can stress you out and when that continues to build and becomes overwhelmed <clears throat> that is when um states like depression or high levels of anxiety that can debilitate you. So it's important to take clarity breaks throughout the period, uh, throughout the days. You know, some people use a form of prayer. Some people use a form of meditation. Some people just take, take walks without um, too much disturbance from their phone or from the outside world, uh, whether that's going to uh, a cafe and just hanging out there without distraction, without distraction of friends or family or people. Um, if you can carve out time for yourself throughout the day, every day would be best, but sometimes that's not possible. So just times throughout the week for yourself so that you can rebalance, I say, to uh, the level of stress that you're getting day to day. Mm -hmm. With the clarity breaks, um, one of the things you mentioned is you could just go for a walk and whatnot, but a lot of people whilst going for a walk or a run, we carry our phones. And not only that, but technology has advanced so much so that the smartwatch on my wrist is basically capable of doing everything my phone can and more, right? So technology is like a very large factor that might lead to stress. So how would you say we can actually, you know, move away from technology and take a step back without having all those addictions with social media and whatnot? Well, technology is there to aid us, uh, not to control us. 
the addictions is what is controlling us. So just because we have a phone with us, it doesn't mean that we have to look at it every second of the day. Um, we can choose when to, to use it. And so the best way for me to kind of explain this is the concept of atoms versus neurons. So for example, if you're um, trying to get to your phone, right? So if, if you know that you have an addiction to your phone and you're trying to spend less time on the phone, let's start looking at the ways that the phone is distracting you. Let's begin with notifications. Notification, every time a notification goes off, you look at your phone, mm-hmm. right? And so if you can, for example, for my phone, for example, I not only do I switch off uh, notifications, I can leave the vibration on, but then the notifications don't appear on the screen. And then if I want to get to the notification, I have to put in a six digit password. I don't use the face recognition. Oh, interesting. So I'm basically putting more layers, more challenges for me. I'm basically making it more difficult for me to get to the notification because then I have to find out where's the notification coming from, who's it from, because not, I don't get, I don't know who, who it's from. All I know is that it vibrates and that's it. All right. And, and so, so the reason why I let it vibrate is because if there's a phone call coming through, then, you know, it's a, if it's an urgent phone call, I can take the call. And if it's not urgent, I don't have to take the call. And if it's a notification, I can choose to look at it now. Or I can choose to look at it later. It's my, 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 um, my decision, because unless it's urgent, normally if it's urgent, people will call me. If it's not urgent, they will leave me a message. And that means it's up to my discretion when I can check that. So that's an example. Right. Right. So, there's a, there's, there should be a clear boundary between technology and our social lives because the thing is our social lives have so, like it's been integrated so well with our technology. There is really no distinction anymore, right? Before, if you wanted to be social, you have to you know go out with your friends to let's say a park or a cafeteria, like you mentioned. But now you could just pick up your phone, just swipe up, and you're already connecting with your friends, and like. Same thing with what we're doing here. We are doing this podcast over Zoom, right? We don't even have to travel long distances to do that anymore. So would you say there's a clear connection between technology and mental health problems? I I do believe that there is a connection there between um, the way that we digitally live compared to and in relation that to mental health. Um, I think there's a different sort of interaction when you when you meet face to face to um, face, there's a different interaction when you call. There's a different interaction um, versus just jumping online and sending a text message or a voice message. I don't, I don't believe you can connect in the same way. Um, but uh, again, it technology is a tool. Yes, it has those downsides, but it also means that you can choose to connect with people from around the world or in distances, like myself to you, I think there's benefits there. Like, you know, if it wasn't for Zoom, we, would, we wouldn't be connecting um, yep. because of travel and the distance. But if you wanted to balance out in your own life, again, that's a choice. It's, you know, if you have a, a friend in the local neighborhood, rather than deciding to send them a text messages about and just communicating through text, why don't we communicate and go, hey, meet you at the park, let's go for a walk. 
that's again up to the decision um, of the person. All, all of that can be shifted, but it's the the ease and convenience. I think it can make people feel a bit lazier. But I mean, I'd like to flip the tables a bit and then ask you, Alfie. Your generation is different to mine. I I, I grew up um, without technology in my early years. We didn't have uh, phones growing up and stuff like that. But <clears throat> your generation growing up, you know, you grew up with phones. You grew up with iPads. You know, you have iPads at schools and all these things. How how do you socialize? You know, do you, for example, on a week to week basis, if we were to look and reflect on your week, do you go out often with your friends, or is it because you're going to school often? How about your friends? Do you have friends outside of school? I just want to understand a bit more about that. That's actually a very good question, and. I actually never reflected on this, but now that I am, I actually don't really go out with my friends that often. The most amount of socializing I do do in person with my friends is at school. If not at school and I want to socialize, we usually, I don't know, um, do a group text or we FaceTime, which is actually quite useful. But going to like a set location with your friends and really meeting up in person, that doesn't really happen as much anymore. And even at school, we are kind of distracted by our devices, but our school has this policy that during school hours, you're not allowed to use your phones, you're not allowed to use your devices unless it's for strictly educational purposes. So that kind of really helps. But for other schools and other students out there, that might not be the case. So even when you're at school, you're not really socializing, you're on your phone, uh, watching Netflix or watching YouTube during lunch and recess, or you're on social media, which really isn't as social as you think. So that's kind of my take on it. Right, right. <clears throat> and did you used to come from a school or did you ever go to a school that was allowed to use phones during lunch periods or throughout uh, the school? For me personally, I've been at Amity College my whole life. So I've been here from kindy and now right. I'm in year 12 here. So right, right. that experience may not really apply to me. Okay, I understand. No worries. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, we can, we can move on. Right. One of the things that you mentioned before is that um, going out with your friends, just what we were talking about as well right now. Do you think there's a difference between like physically seeing and talking and having a chat with your friends or talking over the phone or like a FaceTime? Is there like much of a difference or is that really the same at the end of the day? I think there is a huge difference. I mean, if you consider just the, the lockdowns that we've had not, not too long ago, um, you know, people couldn't see each other uh, physically. They had to dial in via calls or on the internet. And that's um, created many issues and challenges for people, um, mental health issues, depression, anxiety levels. <clears throat> I think it, it was uh, made very clear that it, it was a challenge for people to, well, like it, it was very clear that we're very social human beings interactively, physically. Um, it's you know people were craving to be outside and, and meeting people in real life and um it was clear that, that that is the case and 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 there is a difference between online social versus in in real life currently there's like actually quite a few debates about this but it's between taking um therapy like going to therapy sessions and then on the other hand there's uh, medications and the scientists and especially psychologists and physiologists and whatnot they're actually having this argument 
about which is better for mental health or mental health conditions. What would you say? Would you say that it's the power of medicine or the power of language that is better for solving mental health problems? Um, again, this is an area that is a bit gray for me to enter. Uh, I am not uh, a trained or authorized clinician or um, doctor for that matter, but I, I, in my opinion, I think you can't say one or the other, uh, even though I don't like medicine in, in my perspective, but it depends on the person. Like some people uh, are impacted uh, on, a, on, on a very strong level biochemically, and so medicine is required. Um, I wouldn't, but it's not a, a one a one size fits all. You can't just start prescribing to anyone who has symptoms of depression. Or, um, for for others, you know, therapy is a is a great way. So it's not one or the other; it's both. Um, mm. Yeah, is my answer. Right. Then my next question might be very broad and quite controversial as well. But do you think there is a way in which we can, which there's something we can implement to forever end mental health problems? Or do you think that it's something that's reoccurring, like, like small to medium um, initiatives in our communities, like created by schools or by third parties? Do you think there's anything we could do to end mental health once and for all? Um, I think mental health is a human condition. I don't believe it can be eradicated completely. It can be reduced um, quite a bit with the introduction of telehealth and um, a lot more, like as they start to <clears throat> digitize and democratize therapy as well. Um, I think it, it, there's a lot of people out there who won't open up or who don't uh, aren't aware that they have mental health issues and they they're, or even if they do, they're not willing to go get help or they're a bit shy about it because you know, they, they don't want to tell people that they're going to see a therapist and this and that. But as services and um, uh, innovation and products open up in the future and it's more accessible, um, you know, if I was having an issue and I wanted to speak someone, to someone about it and <clears throat> again, use technology to dial up, and, and go, hey, I need help. Um, can you give me a hand? No one has to know and they'll be able to help me um, and they're qualified as well. So um, technology and innovation, it will definitely help um, that this space <clears throat> in terms of implementing in schools and stuff, I believe indoctrinating and um, teaching about mental health at an early age is very important because you don't know what you're not aware of. And, you know, they're teaching um, kids at school from a younger age about mental health issues, the symptoms, um, you know, things to look out for, uh, even some basic practices to, to help them overcome um, the beginnings. I think it's very important as well. So it's a preventative measure. Just a quick question. How would I tell if someone has a mental health problem? Um, again, I can't speak to this, Avi. Like, you know, everyone's different. Everyone displays it differently. It's, uh, 
not my area to to share whether someone has a mental health issue or not. But like just in general, for example, you're you know at a community gathering or at a school event, right? And you see someone just by facial features or the fact that they're not very they're not socializing with other people. Like what are the like like those like small small signs that your family or your friends may be suffering from mental health problems? I mean, I, th- I think, Alvi, I think it's a very dangerous area to kind of judge if someone has mental health issues. But I think the you can check in with them. You know, if you you see someone that is, you notice that is unhappy or is... Yeah, like, like that was my time. point. But this is the thing as well, Alvi, is that just because that they're, yeah. But, you know, even if they're just smiling and happy, it doesn't mean that they're not going through a tough exactly. times or mental health issues. Exactly. So um, I think the question needs to be, uh, yeah, reconsidered in that sense. Yes, that's a good point. But, you know, you want to go up to them and say, hey, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here, right? So you have to know when it's a good time to do that. Because if if you do that in a bad time and they reject you, a lot of people might just be like, okay, this this guy doesn't want help. I'm just going to back off. But the thing is with mental health, it's got to be nice and soft and it's got to be a gradual increase. It's got to be linear and not exponential, right? So how would you manage that? I don't think there's ever a bad time to check in if someone is okay, Avi. Um, you know, some people... Uh, I, I think people having the courage to reach out to other people to ask if they're okay is very important, uh, whether timing or not, whether um, it's exponential or not, because there are a lot of people who are suffering out there and no one checks in with them, regardless of time of day. So you're saying what we need is more initiatives, right? So how and who would develop these initiatives to really check up with people of course there's you know um courses like lifeline and there's specific days like are you okay day which we recently had about a month ago or so so it's these little things that we need to be doing as a community at the end of the day to really help those suffering from mental health conditions right so in your experience what would you say is um, the largest or the biggest cause for mental health? Um, just to speak to what you were saying before, are you okay day should be every day. It shouldn't be one day a year. Um, you should be checking with the people around you, uh, your loved ones, family and friends to see if they're okay. You know, uh, even if, especially if they reply and they're a little bit somber about it. Maybe you can pry a little bit deeper, but at least check in with people around you. Um, and can you just uh, reaffirm your question, the last question, the latest question, just a little bit? Oh, yeah. So basically, um, how can we further take initiatives to help people with mental health problems?
So what kind of initiatives exactly, can we, yes. can we do for to take mental health problems? Yes. Um, well, yeah, I, I think to tackle mental health, it's, it's such a large um, space, right? I mean, like mental health comes in many forms and challenges. But I think if we're talking about a, a school level, um, you know, implementing policies like your school is implementing with no phones during school, um, unless it's, you know, for, for study. I think that's a, a big thing. Um, teaching prayer or meditation at a younger age, I think is very important as well. Um, allowing terms to space out. Understanding um, the use of technology and how it can aid the education about that, how technology can aid or can ruin you. Um, because a lot of the software developed is designed to uh, make you addicted. It's designed to take, uh, you know, to to tap into your dopamine levels, and then um, you can have these adverse effects on your your day to day life. Uh, these addictions. So it's important that the awareness is there, and that people can tune into this space. Um, but mental health is is one one facet. Uh, I think one the other initiative of you know a healthy a healthy mind is a healthy body, but I think it's the other way around as well. Your physiology impacts your your mental health. I think by keeping um, continuing to push for initiatives for physical health, eating correctly, um, staying away from high sugar foods, uh, exercising, these um, if you keep the body healthy, it can also positive, positively impact the mind as well because a lot of depression is biochemical and if you can shift it using physiology it's hard to be depressed mm. yeah so one thing that really caught me was that you said there's an aspect of religion to mental health can you maybe expand on that well um the belief in faith is quite strong uh, in, in the human psyche so the the belief in a higher power or um, someone that you can turn to uh, or even prayers or meditation the practice uh, the way of being the study of philosophy i think is it can open a person's mind and can share experiences of the suffering that people have gone through before and some answers that have been um, been given. I mean, mental health is not uh, a new a new a new problem. You know, it's existed for you know the beginning of time, and so people have been looking for solutions and asking for these um, answers for a long time. So by looking back, and religion expands back in uh, a long period of time as well. And so, but in turning to religion for answers, um, sometimes you might find things that are helpful in your day to day practice that can help you um, fight mental health. Even if you're like um, not set to one religion, like you're not like specifically, you, for example, you're Christian, but you take aspects of, I don't know, Judaism or Islam, right? To further um, improve your mental health. Do you think there's any type of research going on that we can take aspects from different religions and aspects from different philosophies to kind of make it into one topic or one kind of like somewhat like a cure and then use that to further empower the systems of mental health and its cures? Uh, 
Well, there is one subject in all the religions, no matter which one you pick. And the common theme between them all is gratitude. And I think the power of gratitude is very important, regardless of which religion, um, which practice you're from. By practicing gratitude, incorporating it day to day and rewiring your brain for, to look out for the things to be grateful for, I think can greatly improve your mental health. Um, and I know it sounds very simple, but it's a, it's a discipline and it's a practice. It's something you need to do day to day and build that muscle. Because if you don't, your mind is going to be constantly looking for things to, to be negative about. Um, and so that's something that has already been researched as a, a common theme against all religions. And it's the science behind the power of gratitude and how it can impact mental health as well. How do you think we can implement gratitude into our daily lives? I mean, as humans, we force, like, kind of not, I don't want to say foresee, but we kind of let go of such small things and those small things can heavily impact our day-to-day life. So how would you say we can rearrange our mindset to look for those little things where we can say thank you to other people or just like, you know, just realize what they're doing for us. So how would you say we could do that into or implement that into our lives? Um, I think if you start a, a gratitude journal, I think it's a very simple way, uh, you know, writing three things that you're grateful and thankful for at the end of the day, um, just training your mind to look for things to be grateful and appreciation for. I think that's the easiest way to start. And every day you write three different things, three different things, very simple. It could be a small appreciation for something, a kind gesture someone has done for you or a situation that you're grateful and thankful to be in. Other way, list it down every day and it will help train you to look for things to be grateful and thankful for. But wouldn't you want to share that gratitude with other people? So wouldn't you want to send your gratitude to the person who gave you the thing you're thankful for? For example, in my case, my parents. Um, you know, if my mom cooks me a very nice meal, I'd obviously want to say thank you, mom, uh, thank you, mom, for this and, you know, give out that gratitude. So that's something I, uh, I've noticed that really goes unsaid, the word thank you. Like even in a, very, in, in a school environment, especially, like the idea of gratitude really isn't there anymore. Maybe because we might be so comfortable with our friends or whatnot or our teachers, but it's something that's kind of, or maybe it's just our arrogant culture, I guess, as an Australian, that's kind of who we are. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you could take the previous practice further and go um, and reach out to three different people each day and tell them you're grateful and thankful and why you're grateful and thankful for them and how important that means to you. I think that's a very strong practice that you can take forward. Interesting, interesting. Kevin, that was a very interesting conversation and there was a lot to take from there. So I'd like to thank you for coming onto our show and talking about mental health. It's a very important topic that really goes unsaid and it's something we need to raise awareness even more than there is today. So I'd like to thank you for your time. No worries, Avi. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you.